0: Welcome to Mayo Clinic's ECG segment, Making Waves, continuing medical education podcast. Join us every other week for a lively discussion on the latest and greatest in the field of electrocardiography. We'll discuss some of the exciting and innovative work happening at Mayo Clinic and beyond with the most brilliant minds in the space and provide valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Welcome to Mayo Clinic's ECG segment, Making Waves. We're so glad you could join us today. Today, we have an exciting episode planned for you as we look at the evolution of ECG interpretation software over the years and what's to come. We have an expert discussing joining us. He's back with us again, and we're excited to have him. Now, the ECG is a vital in making timely medical decisions that can save lives. Computerized ECG interpretation software was developed to support clinical decision making and workflow. While it does take its fair share of criticism for its imperfections, it still plays an important role in clinical practice today, and the field of electrocardiology appears to be going through a renaissance. What does the role of the computer interpretation look like today, and where do artificial intelligence based models fit in with the future of the field? These are just some of the questions we'll address today with Professor Peter McFarlane. Professor McFarland is Emeritus Professor and Hahn Senior Research Fellow at the University of Glasgow. He was Professor in Medical Cardiology from 1991 to 1995 and Professor of Electrocardiology from 1995 to 2010. His basic training was in math and natural philosophy, and he obtained a Doctor of Science degree in 2000 for a compilation of publications on computer-assisted reporting of electrocardiograms. The work of his team has been adopted commercially, and the University of Glasgow ECG interpretation program developed in his laboratory is currently used worldwide. He has a particular interest in the differences in ECG appearances due to age, gender, and ethnicity, and as a result of this, he has influenced international guidelines for the ECG definition of acute myocardial infarction, or heart attack. Now, Professor McFarland has also established a central ECG laboratory for handling ECGs recorded in the national and international clinical trials, as well as epidemiological studies, including the landmark West of Scotland Coronary Prevention Study. He's published well over 400 scientific papers, 14 books, and probably more at this point. He was also jointly awarded the 1998 Rylant International Prize in Electrocardiology by the Belgian Royal Academy of Medicine. January 2014, he was awarded CBE for services to healthcare. Professor McFarland, thank you so much for joining us again. I'm really glad to have you back with us.
1: Thank you for the invitation. Very pleased to be here.
0: Now, it's always fun to talk to you, and I've noticed a lot of our audience love what you have to say. And in our previous episode, you shared a lot about your background and how you got into the whole world of computerized electrocardiography. I found it really fascinating, and I'm sure many others did. But those that missed that, maybe you could share a little bit of your background.
1: Well, very briefly, you mentioned my basic degree in mathematics and natural philosophy. And my final year... The professor of mathematics said one day that the cardiologists at one of the major hospitals in Glasgow uh, were looking for someone to follow up. What they had noticed was a trend towards the use of computers for ECG interpretation. So I was lucky enough to obtain that post. I worked there as a PhD student and then became assistant lecturer during my PhD work. And so I, I remember my final examination, we had the professor of mathematics, professor of cardiology, professor of computing science, and another professor of cardiology locally and externally. So it's quite a wide ranging topic, subjects that one had to learn and attend various conferences, etc., to become familiar with the field. And we moved on from there. We developed a small system that was used within the Royal Infirmary. We believe it was the first automated ECG interpretation system in a hospital using a small laboratory computer, the first worldwide. At that time, we had a small system. We were only capable of processing three leads, and that took one minute. But then we moved on from there, and the 12-lead ECG, we managed to get that running, supported by the Scottish Government. And in 1981, software was taken up commercially by Siemens Zelima. They bought Burdick in North America, and then gradually things uh, expanded, and we were allowed to sell um, the, the license, sorry, license the software worldwide um, once Burdick gave up the sole rights to the software. So that's very quickly... A summary of of how we got to to where we are at the present. We still have inquiries uh, very regularly for for use of the software by new companies. I'm not sure where they all come from, but I can assure you, they they come out the woodwork as far as I'm concerned.
0: It's really fascinating. It does make sense, you know, hearing a little bit of how you had all these different professionals in the room and how you got here. It, it's fascinating, and it's some. Journey, And those that want to hear more about that, I, I'd refer you back to our, our first episode. Now, I want to move on to the ECG. Now, medical staff, they, we generally accept a variety of blood tests that we get, right, every day in the hospital setting. When we look at the computer, in terms of non-cardiologists, should they do the same with automated ECG interpretations? And from that, I wonder if you could then expand on, you know, where you see the role of the computer ECG interpretation software in clinical practice today. And so like, what does that look like for each discipline and level of expertise? Does that look different of how they should use this tool?
1: Well, thank you, That that's uh, quite a few questions. <laughs> uh, where do I begin? Uh, yes, certainly one might be inclined to say, these are blood tests, these are the results. But if there was a really drastic measurement that you felt was was wrong, you would question it and maybe do a repeat, a repeat test. We would always say to those looking automated interpretations that the computer is not infallible. Don't assume that 100% of interpretations will, will be correct. We would say that the automated interpretation is a second opinion. If someone looks at a fairly straightforward normal ECG, And most physicians, surgeons should be able to recognise a a straightforward normal ECG and the computer report says it's got some form of abnormality, then they would know themselves that that there was a a problem, that uh, the machine had had been wrong. I don't want to underplay the, the machine. We've known from many studies that the machine can be better than even a junior fellow in cardiology. We've seen that uh, through the years. We would never say to a consultant physician cardiologist that the computer was better. Can't, That's impossible. You would never say that. And, and the reason for that is that one cardiologist will differ from another. You can't say to any cardiologist that the automated interpretation is better. So we have to have an element of training that the computer interpretation is never to be... Re- Regarded as 100% correct, definitely regarded as a, a, a second opinion. That that's the way I would tend to to look at it. So why why do we why would we bother with automated interpretation? Well, when I started reporting ECGs in the hospital, we had a secretary who would type the reports and three carbon copies of the report. The Report was filed away in an envelope, and that was it. When the patient came back. with another ECG, the Secretary had to find the previous file, bring it out, put the new ECG in, and then the report would be done by comparing all the different ECGs. So the other aspect of automated interpretation, as you alluded to in your introduction, is to provide storage facilities, backup facilities, uh, for all the ECGs that are recorded. And now there are many useful ECG, very helpful ECG management systems available. So that's another reason that the, the computer is of great value nowadays. It's not only one minute to report an ECG. It's going be 50 ECGs per second is, a, is the sort of rate at which a computer can analyse ECGs nowadays. So I, I'm not sure if I've picked out all of the points here, if there's anything you want to push harder on or...
0: No, I think you answered it right on. It's, you know, we have all these tests we generally accept. And I think the ECG should also be considered another diagnostic test. And part of having this diagnostic test means you you know where its limitations are, where its strengths are, where it's sensitive, where it's specific, you know, apart from the findings, but, you know, what does it do at baseline? And as you mentioned the cardiologists, we go through all this training that we're expected to be able to interpret it competently. Uh, you know, for other providers, maybe not so much. In fact, you know, we're looking at this now: is what is the competency across different professionals with the computer, without the computer? Does it make a difference? And so, I think you're right. The computer probably does better for some of those that are less experienced or don't have, you know, formal training or are not seeing ECGs every day. So.
1: No, no, I say you're absolutely correct. I mean, there is the old story about two surgeons looking at an ECG, and but what, what does that represent? And and the answer is a double blind study. <laughs> it, you will understand what what's implied there. No disrespect to surgeons. I could pick maybe some other specialties as well, but definitely the, the computer has something to add. And the other point is I remember. We started off maybe 15,000 ECGs a year in the hospital, and now it's way above 30,000 ECGs per year. So there's been an increased demand for the test, and it's still one of the most widely used tests.
0: Yep, Uh, and with, you know, as we were mentioning early on, apart from the software advances, there's the hardware advances we're we're seeing and the the new, you know, ways... You know, not that the signal is going away, but the way we actually record it, you know, is looking different mm-hmm. where it's now out of the hospital recordings and, and what that looks like. But focusing on the software size and we see this whole artificial intelligence, these AI based models, you know, really accelerating over over the years, probably the last five to 10 years. Where do you see their potential role? And, you know, we don't have to analyze one model per se, but where's the role? Where are the limitations and where are the benefits with this technology?
1: Well, I think one role that they will have is is using sort of machine learning techniques. Where conventionally you may say you're going to report an abnormality of variable A is above a threshold, variable B is above another threshold, and variable C above a third threshold and you play around with these thresholds manually, experiment and come up with what you think is the best. But machine learning, one of its forms, I think will be doing that much better than the, the human playing around by, by adjusting these thresholds manually to try and get the best sensitivity and specificity out of the criteria. That's one side of AI. The other side... See the more the, the deep neural networks, where the complete ECG is pushed in, and out comes an interpretation at, at the far end. Nobody's quite sure how the interpretation uh, was made. Uh, the concern I, I have there is that there are a lot, as far as I can see, of false positive um, results. In other words, the, the positive predictive value is very high. If that's the case for multiple interpretations of the ECG, multiple different types of interpretation, conduction defect, myocardial infarction, etc., then you're going to have a very high probability of each ECG report coming out with an abnormality. But that was the criticism of automated interpretation when it first started. Far too many false positives. And that has gradually over 30 years diminished. It could well be over a much shorter time, interpretations are AI-based, the deep neural network-based, will have an improved positive predictive value. But that's one of the, the dangers that I see from it at the minute. But it would be foolish to say that uh, in the fullness of time, uh, there will not be some improvements uh, in that respect.
0: You, you mentioned a lot of good points and kind of how do we change uh, almost what is that threshold and how do we improve that to maybe risk stratify patients that need maybe a next step, you know, or a next test to further clarify underlying disease. But well,
1: clearly, that a good training set where the, the patient, uh, the illness or what have you, is very well defined and use that as a a training set. And hopefully the machine learning techniques will give you the, essentially give you the optimum thresholds. may not be apparent to the user what they are, but the the process will will do that. The other area that I, I skipped over, I should have mentioned, is where the ECG is used to report or comment on a feature such as abnormal heart contraction or left ventricular diastolic function, for example. That was probably unheard of years ago to have an ECG make a diagnosis of left ventricular dysfunction, but definitely there is a trend in that direction. So that's another area where the basic 12-lead ECG is still uh, required, processed in certain ways, such as using wavelets. Information coming out of that, is then fed into a machine learning algorithm, for example, and you can have a diagnosis of left ventricular diastolic dysfunction, for example, output. Mm-hmm. So that's another area that's going to expand, I think, in the years to come.
0: You know, obviously, we can clearly see limitations in, you know, how you mentioned building out these models in a, a great data set, high quality high fidelity the other question is generalizability a, across different places and so there's a lot of work uh, you know with all these models and how we apply them does it change with the different hardware devices the one question i i have for you in given your your background and history you know with the the evolution of this device for so long will this technology eventually become like commonplace and what do you think of the adoption into medical practice. We mentioned non-cardiologists. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I, I don't see any of it. I don't see resistance to it if it's proven that uh, the, the accuracy of the technique is acceptable. We talked earlier about accepting uh, blood results and not really bothering about what equipment is there in the corner that's produced these results. Nobody in any hospital could say that such and such a company's equipment and such and such a process is what is used in the back room. I, the ECGs I see in the same category. If, if someone gives you an ECG report at the minute and you're able to look at it, read it, et cetera, et cetera, um, you're not too bothered. Uh, has it come from a standard 12-lead ECG programme? Has it come from an AI-based programme? If it's been shown that the latter, for example, is every bit as good as the former. that That's the way I would I would see it, that, you drive a motor car, but I mean, I couldn't tell you ins and outs of the engine that's inside my car. No way. But doesn't I'm quite happy with the car. I no doubt the engine has changed in design over the past 30 years. My car's a wee bit well it's not 30 years old, no, but the engine. <laughs> the engine has changed over 30 years.
0: When you think of the car, you know, and maybe it's just better understanding the diagnostic tool across you know, medical professionals, you know, realizing, like we mentioned, the limitations, the car is not going to fly. The ECG is also maybe not going to be perfect either, right? And yeah. so it's yeah. like, know, know what to expect from the tool you're using, and maybe that will give maybe better appreciation of what it actually can provide. It seems more of a, a realistic approach that maybe we should try to adopt more often.
1: I would agree with that,
0: Yeah. yeah. Now, as frustrating as ECG interpretation might feel to many medical professionals, it doesn't look like it's going away. Computerized ECG interpretation software has not only helped many inexperienced interpreters, but has also become an important aspect in improving our clinical workflow. The future of electrocardiology appears bright with many developments that await us and many barriers to overcome. Professor McFarland, thank you so much for joining us again. It's always a true pleasure to speak with you. I know I always learn from our conversations and we're always grateful to have your unique perspective on these topics. Thank you again for joining us.
1: Again, thank you for the invitation. Always very happy to talk to you.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast at cveducation.mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to a Mayo Clinic cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in every other week to explore today's most pressing electrocardiography topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic.
1: This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.